Time for another visit from our friend, Dr. Bernice Shafarik from Shafarik Dental on Route 66 East in Columbia. And her topic this month, how did COVID-19 affect your mouth? I bet a lot of people didn't really give that much of a thought, but we're here to put that thought in your mind today with Dr. Shafarik. Bernice, good morning. Thanks for joining me today. And what triggered this discussion this morning? Good morning, Wayne. Um, well, you know, I, oh, the whole time we've been going through the pandemic, I've been thinking about there's got to be some incredible research coming out of this because we have a whole lot of people impacted. So whenever you have a lot of numbers of people, it's easier to gather data. Of course, there are challenges to that also. But definitely anecdotally, as a dentist in my personal dental office, I have seen more vertical fractures of teeth than I had ever seen in my entire career, which is interesting because I'm talking about teeth that really had no damage, and people ended up fracturing them to the point where you can't save that. So if a tooth cracks down the long axis of the tooth, then it has a gateway into the rest of your body, and you can't save that tooth because it will continually pass infection along. And it seems to be happening basically because of stress. So people are clenching and grinding and slamming their teeth against each other. The other thing that um, we see, and this weekend I spent in Massachusetts doing dental exams for the military. So one day was Army National Garden, one day was Air Force. And one of the comments that the soldiers would make to me when I would ask them, you know, when did you last have your teeth professionally cleaned? Some of them would say, well, not um, last time was before COVID. So when I ask why is that, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but my premise is that because of COVID, you should go to the dentist and not avoid the dentist. And do you get people that come into your office and have that same story as well as besides the military people? Well, you know, if they're coming in, then they're here, and it's not like they're avoiding coming in. So I don't hear that as much. But, you know, there were people who did avoid, and it's a complex situation because a pandemic has an incredible impact on all sorts of areas of our lives. So for some people, it became a time issue. So some of these soldiers, you know, they're, they have full-time jobs, plus they're in the reserves, so they were called up to go and help in hospitals and help with vaccine distribution. So basically, they ran out of time to be able to fit in a dental appointment. So that's one area. Another area that I've seen less of, but I have heard it more in the general population of the fear of you could catch COVID, especially earlier in the pandemic. And, you know, what I have to tell people about that is dentists really are the poster children for infection control because because of the HIV pandemic, we ended up really zeroing in on how do we prevent transfer. Now, in the past, more of the transfer was bloodborne diseases, and this is more of a respiratory disease, but all of the things that we were able to do to prevent transfer of saliva from like one person to the other, we're all still doing. And there was recently a CDC announcement that, you know, you could get infected from the water lines at your dental office. Well, since 2002, at least, there have been guidelines for OSHA of how you keep 
your water lines cleaned to the extent that we even have a couple of our rooms have a separate water supply, so they don't even connect to the community water supply. So I can reassure people in my office, I know exactly what is done to treat the water lines. That technology is there. It's mandated. We are being as careful as we can be. So that was another area where people were afraid to come in because of the infection control issue. This meant a lot of information that's come out since the pandemic, since COVID-19, about how it affects your body, your health, and we'll cut to long COVID later on. But I have to admit, I've not seen anything or read anything at all about how did COVID-19 affect your mouth. So what does some of the clinical research show you about this? So <laughs> there's uh, one research project that is near and dear to my heart because the researcher, and his name is Falal Tamimi, actually was um, based out of McGill, which is my alma mater. And McGill is in Montreal, and they have always been known for incredible research. They've always been right there on top of anything happening. So um, Tamimi ended up on sabbatical in Qatar, in the country of Qatar. And when the pandemic broke out, he noticed some things that made him think not of COVID as a disease, but of gum infection, gum and bone infection. So he decided to do a research project based within the Qatar system. And what? And tell me more about what he found out. So what he noticed is that the risk factors for COVID, things like obesity and um, hypertension um, and stress, they were all the same. The whole list was very similar to the risk factors we see for people getting bone and gum infections. So that was the first thing he noticed. The second thing he noticed was conversation about what's called the cytokine storm. Do you know what that is, Wayne? I've never heard it before. And by the way, it's radio, so why don't you spell that before you define that? Okay, so it's C-Y-T-O-K-I-N-E, cytokine and storm. I think people know how to spell. So I did, you know, I run these um, outlines by my husband, and of course that was the first question that he had is, what is that? Now, having been exposed to it before, I heard it several times during the pandemic when Dr. Fauci or other scientists would stand up there, they would occasionally use that term, cytokine storm. So basically what it means is your body reacts to an assault, an infection or trauma or whatever, by sending inflammatory cells to the area to help fix it. So those are called cytokines. Now, if you have you know, an isolated wound on your arm and your body sends the cytokines there to repair it, they can stay pretty much right in that local area and fix the problem. So some of fixing the problem means basically destroying the damaged tissue so that we can rebuild new tissue. Cytokine storm happens when there, is, there are so many triggers to inflammation that it's like inflammation on steroids. It just gets so overwhelming that people end up dying of the inflammation. 
basically their body almost destroys itself. So other terms that people may have heard are like toxic syndrome or Kawasaki syndrome. All of those things basically are terms for your body's inflammatory system going out of control. Does that make sense, Wayne? Absolutely. And what sort of conclusions do we draw from this study? So what was incredible for one is that he noticed right away that there were relationships because he was a dental researcher. Other people would not have noticed that. And so the first thing that struck him was if we can find an association between people who have this gum and bone infection before and we look at how it impacts the course of their disease with COVID, wouldn't it be great if we knew that flossing, brushing, going to the dentist could improve your course of disease. So that's a pretty inexpensive, simple way to go compared to a lot of other options. So what he did is in Qatar, the great thing is that they have all digital records, so electronic records, and they include dental records. Here in the United States, that doesn't happen. The medical records are separate <clears throat> from dental records. So he was able to go into a hospital in Qatar and actually measure himself signs of gum and bone disease right as close to admission as he could and then follow those patients through the course of their disease. So Part of the advantage of that was because everything was there in the medical records, he could separate out the people, for example, who were smokers or the people, you know, who you could get rid of what we call confounding factors, which would complicate whether or not it purely was due to the gum disease. So long story short there, what he ended up with his conclusions were that people who had worse oral health, so, you know, they came in and their gums were bleeding and they had deeper pockets and they had inflammation, they were 3.5 times more likely to end up in the ICU. They were 4.5 times more likely to end up on a ventilator and 8.8 times more likely to die. So his study was very well done because he had very clear data. It wasn't just, for example, sending a survey and asking people whether or not they have gum disease. How about the report from the researcher named Bird? So um, Bird was in the United States, and he decided to um, look at whether or not the COVID-19 virus was present in cells, like saliva cells and cells in your mouth. And what sparked his interest was the higher um, levels of loss of taste and smell, because that just seemed like an oral issue, that why would people lose taste and smell? And it wasn't in everybody, it was just in some people. The other thing that interested him was what was called the asymptomatic transfer. So that, that really floored me, I have to say, at the beginning of the virus also, because we are used to having somebody, for example, have a cold and they're sneezing and coughing. And basically, the COVID virus is a coronavirus, the same thing as the common cold type of virus. So you would think that the only way to transfer it is through coughing, sneezing, where the particles are in the air. 
but it seemed like there were people who didn't have any symptoms that we could detect, yet they seemed to have transferred the disease. So his thought was if they, if they have virus living in the cells in their mouth through saliva, that would be a way of transferring that wouldn't be as obvious. You wouldn't see people really having symptoms. So the first thing he studied was there are some enzymes and proteins that you need. They're sort of like gatekeepers that allow the virus to enter a human cell. So he first looked at whether there were those particles, those proteins, enzymes in our cells in our mouth, and it turns out that there are. And so he took a look at the patients who had loss of taste and smell and studied their saliva and he found out that they, in fact, did have virus within their salivary cells. Now, with all of these studies, they're not super conclusive until we get large, large numbers. And that takes a while to be able to study larger numbers. The pandemic, A pandemic has in itself the fact that it fast-forwards research. So that first researcher I talked about, Tamimi, talked about how he's never had papers published as quickly because he was so highly motivated to try to make an impact that he went ahead and was very quick about publishing things. Now, I know there's been a perception out there that if you do something quickly, you don't do it as well. But you know, these are researchers, that's all they ever do. And what he was able to do in the previous study is really zero in in a facility where he had everything he needed to be able to complete his study quickly. So that's why some of these things came out quicker than we sometimes expect. So he looked at, he saw that patients who lost taste and smell seemed to have a higher level of the virus. And then he also took... um, saliva from patients who didn't have any of the symptoms of COVID to see if he could, in a test tube, basically, situation, see if the virus from their cells could infect other cells. And he found out that, in fact, they could. So that introduces a whole other area of impacting a pandemic and a lot of other things. So if we have people keeping their mouths cleaner to prevent the viruses from settling in there, then we could potentially decrease the amount of disease from COVID. Well, let me go back to the part that you talked about that Bird researched about the spread of the virus through people sneezing and things like that. I got the impression that an infected person just breathing exports those cells that other people, maybe not cells, but the virus, that other people can breathe and inhale, and that's how they get it. Is that accurate? I I don't think so, Wayne, because when you're talking about breathe, so in order to transfer a virus, virus doesn't live by itself, so it has to be in a particle or a cell for it to transfer. So when you breathe, you're breathing in and air in and out, so there's really no vehicle to transfer the virus. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I just, um, I, if that's the answer, I'll accept that. I just was trying to put the difference in between sneezing and breathing. So what I want you to think about is not breathing, but saliva. So the people who aren't sneezing, coughing, but have saliva 
that is infected, they could inadvertently spread. So by kissing, by contact, which virus within the saliva could transfer to somebody else. So then it has a way to transfer, but it's not respiratory symptoms. It's not sneezing, coughing. It's saliva transferring. I get that. All right. So we've had the research from Tamimi, and we've got Bird. And what about collaborators from the UK and Los Angeles? So what they looked at is um, when they realized from the other studies that there is actually virus within the saliva. So it's harboring in the mouth. And another area of research that went on at Yale that's looking really promising is doing a test for COVID that uses saliva because that's easier than, you know, sticking that Q-tip up your nose. You know, saliva might be easier. So we know that the virus lives in salivary cells. So knowing that, um, this group from the UK and Los Angeles looked at how does it transfer to the rest of your body from the mouth. So what we know about gum and bone infection is that it really is like having a wound in your mouth. So all of us, when we were learning healthcare providers, we learned that inflammation, you know, has these four signs. There's swelling, redness, pain, and of course, I knew I was going to forget the last one, um, and heat. So when you have an inflamed area on your arm, for example, so let's say you have a splinter, and so you look down and think, oh, you know, that hurts, and there's a bump around there, there's swelling, and it's red, and if I push on it, it might bleed, and it hurts me. So all of those things tell your mind, I need to do something about this. I need to pull that splinter out. In the mouth, it's much easier to ignore those signs because everything's red, and you don't really notice your gum tissues being swollen or heat in one localized area. But the damage is happening. That's why in dentistry... We're so geared towards prevention. Come in, let us clean the germs out from under your gum line so that it doesn't become an open wound. So those of you who are um, going to the dentist and we do something that we call measuring your periodontal pockets. So that means we put a probe in between your gum and tooth and see how deep it goes. Now, if it only goes like one to three millimeters and it doesn't hurt you at all and there's no bleeding, then that's a sign that you're pretty healthy and you don't have this infection. If it goes deeper, like four or five millimeters, that's harder for people to even keep clean. Even if they're flossing and brushing at home, that's a deeper area. What happens is if I go down there and find that deeper pocket, it usually bleeds when I go down there. Now, People weren't aware of that, and some people will come in and say, my gums bleed at home. If they bleed at home, you really need to go right away because healthy gums should not bleed at all. So what these researchers thought about is bleeding of your gum below there, having inflammation there is basically like having an open way of bacteria to enter the rest of your body. So then 
it's transferred through the blood system, through the arteries and veins, instead of being a respiratory transfer. So the common cold, most people get what we call upper respiratory symptoms, coughing, sneezing. With COVID, there were people who had the infection at the base of their lungs. You know, I think on the news they would talk about that ground glass appearance of the x-rays, and that's sometimes the way they first detected COVID. Now, in order for bacteria to get to the base of your lungs, it's more probable that it's a bloodborne activity. So how would that happen? Well, it can happen easily in the mouth. If you think of gum infection as a wound around each tooth, then you can cause bacteria to get into the bloodstream. And we know that there are associations of that same inflammation infection process in your mouth with heart disease, diabetes. So we know that there's that relationship there. And these research were researchers were able to show that it does look like one of the roots of infection could be through your blood vessels. Discussing how did COVID-19 affect your mouth, just got three different studies that were done that Bernice Farik has told us about. How about this study done about international day to fight violence against women, November 25th? Your serotimus group is working on that. Another incredible way to impact your environment. So it's a Facebook initiative, and if you go on SI Willimantic's Facebook, you can donate online. Any amount is fine. I think they like people to start at $5 to make it worth having to process all of that. But any donation is fine, and we have so far collected, I think, over $500 is where we're at. And the initiative will end about a week before November 25th because if you like, if you make a donation and put your name there, we will put your name in the newspaper as someone who is against violence against women. So the more people that we know are against domestic violence against women, the better world that we will have. If you just want to make an anonymous donation, that's fine too, but try and get your donations in the week before November 25th because the Chronicle for years has been good enough to publish in the newspaper. And what happens when you donate there, your funds go to three different areas. One area is the Sexual Assault and Crisis Center in Willimantic. Another is the Domestic Violence Shelters. And the third area is our Seroptimus programs. And we have applications for two different programs right now. They're both called Live Your Dream. One is an award and one is a grant. So the award is a higher amount, and it goes to a woman who is head of household, enrolled in an educational program, and has a financial need. The top place award is 1500 We have a wonderful chairperson, Ellen McCauley, and she is anxiously awaiting applications. So if you know of a woman in that situation, please encourage her to go on SI Willimantic and fill out the application. Our first place award awardee gets 1500 and you can use that towards diapers, transportation, gas, anything. It doesn't have to be used towards tuition or books. Then when we get additional candidates, last year I think we gave out four different awards. So Ellen is so passionate about this that she 
gets us to vote to contribute something to almost everybody who applies. So it's a good way to get a little extra money in this time when we could all use it. The grant program is a $500 grant that goes to a woman who's trying to get licensed in a profession. So hairdressing, dental hygiene, dental assisting, medical field, daycare providers, anyone who is able to advance in their career by taking a test and getting certified will pay the fee for that test and the gas money for you to get to the testing site. Long COVID and oral health care are big considerations when it comes to COVID. What kind of things can you tell us? Have you learned about the effect of long COVID, particularly as it affects the mouth? So uh, long COVID is just a very frustrating event for the people that are living through it. It's as if you know, it wasn't enough that I had COVID and now I've got all these symptoms, symptoms that just keep being prolonged. And since it is a novel virus, there's not a lot of history for what the symptoms are, and they vary a lot in different people. So basically, you're almost depending on your patient to diagnose their own long COVID because they can tell that something is going on with their body. And it's interesting that it doesn't seem as if there's a direct correlation between, for example, somebody had a really severe course of disease, and then they end up with these what we call residual symptoms, things that carry on for months. It could be a very mild case, and you end up with long COVID. And the symptoms vary a lot. For some people, they slowly seem to get better. For some people, they don't seem to get better. And there's also no clear-cut view of what age people are when they get this. So with my personal experience, I have a patient who actually was a nurse and developed the long COVID, and her symptoms were fatigue mostly, and it lasted at least eight or nine months. So part of the oral effect of that is if you can hardly drag yourself out of bed, you're going to take yourself out of your normal routine. So people tend to not take care of their teeth as well. Um, if you have what then has become a chronic disease, that's depression. Depressing and you're more anxious. Some people end up with medications which cause their mouth to get drier and their, all of the diseases in the mouth get worse if your mouth is dry. You get more cavities, your gum disease is worse. Um, my particular patient was super proactive. Her teeth are very important to her. So as soon as she could get herself back in, she did. And she was uh, very frustrated by all of this because she's a member of the medical community and there weren't any easy answers. So she's gone on a personal journey of you know, correcting her diet, working on exercise, oral hygiene, all of the things that could possibly affect it to help her have a better experience. I have another patient who has the um, shortness of breath and the oxygen issue. And, you know, she was very healthy before she ended up in the hospital with COVID. And now she has to walk around with an oxygen machine. It seems to be slowly getting better for her, 
But for someone like that, they can no longer sit in a chair for as long as they used to be able to. So as far as treatment considerations are concerned, there's things that we need to do. Now, we started out the show talking about um, how COVID affects your oral health and people saying, I didn't come in because of COVID, and I'm saying you should come in because of COVID because everything is worse if your oral health is not good. But you do need, I understand that if you're going through these long-term symptoms, you need to know that we will listen to you when you come in. And with this particular patient, we had to actually say, you know, I think this is enough. I think you need to go and use your oxygen and be more comfortable. In fact, my office manager didn't allow her to walk out to her car until she sat in our waiting room for a while and used her oxygen, and we could tell that she would be able to walk and not faint or anything like that. So there's definitely changes, and there's a concept called brain fog that people tell me about. And it's that's a very difficult thing because it's not easily defined, and you might just think someone is not paying attention, but if they're having an episode where it just feels like their brain is foggy, that's how people describe it, that's not the time to be telling them about this treatment plan that involves a lot of complicated things and finances and insurance. That's just not the right time. With long-term COVID, I really depend on my patients to tell me what they're experiencing And then it's my obligation to try to do whatever I can to make your dental experience better. So those are the kind of things that we're thinking about. And the other part that we I mentioned a little bit is anxiety and depression. You know, especially if you're a young person, it's really hard to be living with long COVID. And you may have to decide one area of your life is what you're going to focus on and kind of let the other areas go because you just don't have the energy to do everything. And that can sometimes cause anxiety because you're not able to have the friendships or other things that you normally socially would be able to handle. So there are people who end up on anxiety and depression medications. And some of those medications are, I mean, most of them are associated with dry mouth, so that we, I mentioned that already, that that makes you get more cavities, it makes your gum disease worse, so dry mouth is not meant to be in our human organism. We really need saliva, so you need to use whatever strategies you can for that, sipping water, not drinking Gatorade or energy drinks, because that's that's much worse. Alcohol, caffeine will dry things more. Um, you may need more frequent dental visits. We may need to prescribe a mouthwash or a gel to help protect your teeth. So those are all strategies we can use. The other thing with some of the anti-anxiety and anti-depressants is some of them are associated with increased clenching and grinding at night. And I talked about the patients I've had who have had vertical fractures 
which is really depressing. I mean, you look at a tooth that never was damaged, and all of a sudden you have to take this tooth out. And in my patients who I already know have a tendency to clench and grind, if I see them and see signs of that, we can talk about a mouth guard. And, you know, most of the things that I recommend that make the biggest impact, things like flossing or brushing or using a mouth guard, they're not super expensive things, but they're inconvenient. It's like one more thing that you have to do. So if I can help you understand what the long-term risks and complications are of not paying attention, then we can use a relatively low-cost method to help to keep you healthy. Let me follow up on a couple of things you talked about there. Number one was the the nurse who you said had long COVID for eight months. Was that to indicate that after eight months that she got back to normal again? Or is this long COVID thing something that likely might stay with you for the rest of your life? She's still fighting it. I don't know about the rest of her life. So my eight, nine-month comment was it was eight or nine months before she could even get in for her dental appointment. And this is someone who, like, never missed her six-month appointment. So it was important to her to come in, but it took that amount of time for her to be able, and it was more time since her previous visit, but that was since she, she was actually hospitalized for COVID. So from the time she was hospitalized until she could actually come in was, it was eight or nine months. She still has the symptoms. Um, It's not as bad, so she's gotten better to where she can actually go to work, but it has not gone away. And I don't, so part of the problem with researching it is there's so many different manifestations. You know, some people have heart issues, some people have breathing issues, some people have the brain fog. It's not like you can study a group that all has the same symptoms. So I sometimes remind my patients that when HIV came out, it was so much easier because pretty quickly we had a set of symptoms and everybody who had HIV had most of those symptoms. And the other comment I wanted to make was about the brain fog talk that I think that for people who have not had it, and I would be on that list, it, it doesn't sound like that big a deal. But yet I've talked to people, I'm talking multiple people who have had COVID, who have had brain fog. Four of them are my family in San Diego. And I've talked a lot about Cami, who got really bad case of long COVID called post-COVID POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. But they, when they first got COVID, they all got the brain fog thing. And they said, it may not sound like much, but it's a thing. You can't focus. You can't concentrate. You don't, you're not as sharp as you were. Now, I think that the rest of them all got it back. I think Cammy's got it back now, too. But that brain fog thing, it, it may sound minor league, but it's major league. And I think what you're saying, Wayne, that is so important is we all just need to pay attention to each other. Don't belittle somebody's symptoms because you've never experienced something like that. So along with out of control, I got this disease I didn't expect, all of a sudden my brain doesn't work the way I expect it to. So that can be very overwhelming right away. And then the long-term, what you talked about, the POTS, orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, you know, that's overwhelming because there's a young person who has an effect on her heart that seems to be long-term that was never expected. But when you look at these people, there's nothing about them that will tell you, oh, they have long COVID. 
So that's the problem with the research is there's so much variation. The good thing is it people who are inspired by doing research got really excited about how this is an opportunity to really make a difference because we have so many people that have it that there's more numbers that we can look at, you know, 200,000 people in, in a certain population and say what's common to those. So there's hope that we will figure more of this out. In the meantime, we all need to be very patient and kind and respectful to each other. And if somebody tells you, you know, I have long COVID, pay attention. You know, in my world, I really have to pay attention and say, okay, if you have that orthostatic component, that means that when I bring you back in the chair and leave you back there for 30 minutes, and then I bring the chair up and say, stand up, you might faint because the circulation is not getting that blood back to your brain quickly enough. And nobody wants a medical emergency in the office. So knowing that somebody has that condition, we just wait a few minutes, chat with the person sitting up until the blood circulation comes back and you can be more confident that they're not going to end up fainting on you. Tell me more about the prevalence of oral health conditions and how some of those conditions may have been affected for people that had COVID-19. So they actually have gone ahead and um, research exact percentages of people with COVID and what kind of oral symptoms they have. So if you had any of this, these symptoms when you had COVID, it shouldn't be a surprise to you. So 41% of the people who did have COVID experienced dry mouth. Um, and, you know, that's pretty typical. What we don't really know sometimes is whether it's partially because of the treatment for COVID or if it's truly a COVID-associated symptom. But it doesn't really matter. The guidelines for helping yourself um, deal with dry mouth and end up without the bad consequences is to drink lots of water and to avoid um, things like alcohol and coffee, anything that dehydrates. You also want to avoid things like energy drinks, Gatorade, things that have a lot of sugar and a lot of acid will make your situation worse. So there are also over-the-counter remedies. Biotene has a whole line of products that can help with dry mouth. Um, patients tell me that certain things work for some people and other people like different methods, so, but there's a lot of choices out there. What you want to do is make sure that you have some liquid in your mouth that's not acidic and not sugary. Another area that they looked at were oral lesions. So that's things like canker sores and um, blistering or tongue inflammation. There was even a study in England that talked about um, a large tongue syndrome, which we didn't really hear that much about over here. But basically, it seems like inflammation of the tongue. And it happened more in, uh, depending on the position. So I don't, I guess a lot of you maybe remember during the pandemic, they talked about having people on their stomach or their back and that one was better than the other. Some of those positions can be associated just with positionally causing some swelling of the tongue. So 
swallowing of the tongue is just a very uncomfortable kind of consequence, and it makes you think that you're having an allergic reaction, and, you know, that's, that's very serious, and people die from things like that. But this is not as serious as that, but it was noticed that there may be a relationship there. Another thing that I think that would be of interest to talk about is I've heard studies when it comes to COVID that indicate that more women get COVID than men and more women get long COVID than men do. I wonder if that has showed up in any of your research related to the way that it affects the mouth. Are women more affected by COVID when it comes to oral health than men are? Actually, there, there was some research. There was an article in the February 2022 edition of the American Dental Association's journal, and their research did show that it seemed like there's more of a prevalence for long COVID in women and certain racial groups than um, in men and other racial groups. And again, the, the research there, you know, it's kind of difficult because it's almost supported more by patients than the research community because, you know, there's so many different um, manifestations of long COVID. But it does seem like in the article they were talking about people who have what they like to call long COVID or they call themselves long haulers. They are very active in advocating for research and recognition, and they provide a lot of support for each other. So they um, push for research. There's national and international groups. So if you have an interest or you're frustrated by long COVID, going online, you can find some um, support groups that are really involved in that. Because in the research, the estimates range from as low as 10% to as high as 87% of patients having at least one ongoing symptom after being infected with with COVID. So as we've discussed this morning, how did COVID-19 affect your mouth? What conclusions do we draw from this in the big picture? People that maybe have it from a short-term basis, but maybe have it in long COVID for a long-term basis. So to me, the most striking conclusion is one that I've been aware of for a long time, that your mouth is the gateway to the rest of your body. So the healthier you keep your mouth, the healthier your whole body will be. And there are clear research associations of healthy mouth, healthier course with COVID. So we talked about those statistics. More people ended up in the ICU on ventilators and dying if they had untreated diseases in their mouth. That's one conclusion. The second conclusion that has been true forever is mouth diseases are often silent. I mean, even things like a cavity. If I find evidence of a cavity on an x-ray, most often patients say, oh, I don't feel anything. And that's because it's far enough away from the nerve and the center of the tooth that it's not affecting the rest of your body. So your oral system says, I'm not going to cause alarm here because it's not endangering the rest of your body. So that's why our model in dentistry for a long, long, long time has been preventive. We want to find things before they're a difficult fix. 
same thing with gum disease. Unless we go in there and probe, unless we look and see bone loss on x-rays, it's hard to diagnose by yourself because you don't feel anything different. But when you come in, so for example, if people who tell me, oh, my gums never bleed unless I go to the dentist, well, that's kind of like ignoring that splinter. It doesn't really hurt until you press on it or interact with it in some way. So if you're never cleaning at the base of the area of the gum that's infected, you're really not going to feel that. But floss, brush, some people need to be using mouthwashes, come in for your dental appointment. And I know that's self-serving, but on the other hand, in a way, it's more self-serving if people stay away because they come in then and they're a mess and it's a much more expensive fix. It's more involved. I personally, in my dental career, love seeing patients who don't have a lot of problems and we can just see them once every six months, clean whatever tartar buildup they have. And the all-important part of the visit is education. I mean, that is what I am all about. I did those military exams over the weekend, and I was able to let some of the soldiers in my five-minute interaction with them understand a little bit more about why their smoking habit is making a difference or why the fact that they stayed away for three years has caused them to dissolve the bone away and have this infection of their gum tissues. That kind of information as a consumer is so valuable to you. And I know that what we're recommending, things like flossing, they're not convenient, they're not fun, there's no immediate gratification to them. Long term, there's a, they make a huge impact. Dr. Badi Shafarik from Shafarik Dental discussing how did COVID-19 affect your mouth? You can get more information about Shafarik Dental by logging on to shafarikdental.com or going to Shafarik Dental on Facebook, S-Z-A-F-A-R-E-K Dental. Bernice, thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you, Wayne. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.